And we're back on The Breakfast Show with Renee and Ryan. Here we go on our Encounter with God, a 20 million uh, people movement, a Bible study. Um, uh, And this week we are talking about the story of Ahaz from the book of Isaiah chapter 7. And this this morning, it's it's uh, the Bible study is called attempted interception. Now we're going to run it run through real quick what we discussed yesterday. Yesterday we had Kelvin with us. Yes, we did. He was amazing. Um, we were just bouncing off ideas with him, discussing the uh, the Bible study. Um, but Ryan, do you want to briefly run us through what we what we talked about yesterday? Yeah, so yesterday we introduced uh, the King Ahaz, and we looked a little bit about. Um, how he was wicked in God's sight and how he really turned to the gods of his enemies and Mm. and refused to heed the Lord. But, um, yeah, it was really interesting what we looked at yesterday and how he went to Assyria for assistance. Well, today we're going to look at something very similar. We're going to look at the initial encounter between Ahaz and Isaiah, as well as the promise yeah. recapping the promise that God gave him. And yeah. and so, yeah. That's it. Thank you so much, Ryan. And for those joining in today, you didn't hear yesterday, we were talking about, um, just off what Ryan was saying, the kingdom of Assyria was threatening the kingdoms of Syria, Israel, and Judah. Yes. So, Assyria was at war with Syria and Israel. And Israel wanted to, and Israel and Syria wanted to invade Judah and install a puppet king to help them with the war with Assyria. Well, so then it'd be three against one. Right? Yeah. Well, Judah decided that they would just, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm-hmm. And they teamed up with Assyria, who was renowned for their bad treatment of, of slaves and captives, yeah. as well as people who they went to war against. And so, I mean, that's contrary to what God had called Ahaz, the king of Judah, to do. Yeah. And so that's really where we were at. Yeah. And and yesterday we were talking about how, you know, when we come into problems and, and, and we come to a crossroad where we're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to turn to. The best person to turn to is God and to trust God. So let's continue with our study. When Ahaz was weighing his political options to meet the threat from Israel and Syria, God knew some things that he did not. As per usual, God has such a bigger perspective than we do. Um, For one thing, it was God who allowed the trouble to come upon him in order to discipline him and to bring him to his senses. Now, if we go to 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 5, can you read verse 5 for us, Ryan? I can. 2 Chronicles chapter 8 and verse 5. It says, Therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel who defeated him with a great slaughter. Yeah. And verse 19, please. Yeah, we can read verse 19. It says, For the Lord brought Judah low because Ahaz king of Israel, uh, because of Ahaz king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had continually, uh, had, and had been continually unfaithful. Yeah. To the Lord. So we see that God allowed this trouble to come upon Judah to wake up King Ahaz and say, you need to come to your senses, turn from your wickedness, um, because King Ahaz was known for his, his he worshipped other gods, he sacrificed his first son, mm. um, 
So he was known to be a wicked king, yet God was trying to wake him up and say, come on, you need to come back to me. Your whole kingdom is suffering because of your disobedience. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm just thinking of an attitude that a lot of people have when bad things happen in their life. They immediately go and sort of blame God for those Mm. bad things happening. But we can oftentimes uh, misconstrue God's intentions for us. Mm. God allowed these bad things to happen to King Ahaz. He didn't cause them to happen. He just allowed them to happen Mm. in order to wake King Ahaz up to the need that he had for God. Exactly. And so, uh, the taking captive of it, um, being he's, the people being taken captive by Israel and Syria, while that was very painful for King Ahaz, it wasn't the complete and utter dethronement of his mm. kingdom. He was still allowed to be king. He was still allowed to make decisions. Yeah. He was just being reminded by God that if he didn't walk in God's statutes, if he didn't follow God with his heart and didn't allow God to change him as a person, mm. then God wouldn't be able to bless him with being king over his people. That's right. And I loved what you just said. Often we blame God. But often we blame God for the for suffering when we suffer the consequences of our actions. Mm. Because of King Ahaz's wickedness and his godlessness, um, people had turned on each other. Society had been suffering, uh, degraded. And these were all a result of turning away from God. And so when all these bad things were happening, you're absolutely right. You know, the, the, you know, God is the person that we turn to, should be the person we turn to for, for help. And it's really interesting. I was just reading a little bit ahead. There is a little bit of good news in the story. And that is that God didn't forsake his people he allowed the um, the captives that were mm. taken from Judah to be set free. He sent a prophet out to the delegation and told them that, hey, you've got to set the captives free. Mm. You know, your guilt to Israel is yeah. also very great. And so, God really didn't want to punish the, the people so much for the king's sins, but yeah. allowed that to happen to wake the king up. And then, of course, the captives were um, transported back to, Jerus- uh, to uh, Judah yeah. and, well... They were allowed to go back to their families, which was a little bit of good news. That is good news. And I'm always amazed at how much God is willing to stand by his people despite their disobedience and blatant disrespect for who he for for him. Mm. I'm always amazed at like, wow, God did that. He did that good he did that good work for his people despite them you know, worshipping other gods, despite them, you know, turning to other people for alliances. Um, God is just amazing. Yeah. And you've got to remember, if uh, if you've been tuning in here before, no doubt you've heard about the Daniel 2 prophecy. Mm. And at the end of that, um, there's there's a section where God establishes his kingdom and authority as the person who sets up kingdoms and rulers and removes kingdom and rulers. That's the whole purpose of that prophecy there, um, to point us to that God is the ultimate ruler and kings on this earth and rulers on this earth are appointed by him for a time, but that doesn't mean they're immune to not abusing that power. And that's exactly what King Ahaz did. He abused his power. He led the people into unfaithfulness. And God said, you know what? If he wants to, to follow those gods... Let's see if those gods protect him from wow. from his enemies, because yeah. I'm the only God who yeah. will protect him from his enemies. That's such a testament to the character of God, the fact that he sets up 
what did it say? He, he sets up kingdoms. Yeah, sets up kingdoms and rulers. And rulers. Mm. Um, and he sees, you know, and he gives them grace. But there comes a time when enough is enough and his people have suffered enough. Yeah, and if they if they fill up the cup of their iniquity or if yeah. they keep following and going in wickedness, God has to remove them. There's yeah. no other option for him because God won't allow injustice Exactly. To be um, to just happen yeah. end over end over end abusing all of God's mercy. There comes a time where God says, "No, enough is enough." Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Um, well, this is awesome. We're going to continue with our Bible study um, just after um, after this, right after this. <laughs> You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So we're talking about, uh, we were just mentioning how God sets up rulers and kingdoms and there comes a time where God's judgment, he, his justice, he, realize, he, he says, you know what, enough is enough. This wickedness cannot go on. Um, and he, he makes his move. So we come to Ahaz. He makes a, he, he, appeals, he appeals to the king of Assyria, who is his enemy and the enemy of Israel and Syria, uh, Tiglath Tiglath Pileser, Pileser, Tiglath Pileser, and Ahaz appeals for help, which seems like the logical and attractive form in a human standpoint, right? If you're Mm. the weak person, the best possible thing to do is align yourself with the most powerful person. So that's what that's the logic that you know we have and Ahaz had, which seems smart, but God knew that that would bring the the kingdom of Judah under foreign control, under which Judah could never recover from. And so the stakes were very high. And so God sent Isaiah to intercept the king. And the king, while he was inspecting Jerusalem's water supply in preparation for a siege, um, Isaiah comes to him in order to persuade him not to contact the Assyrian leader. Let's read Isaiah chapter 7, verse... And just while we're turning there to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3, it's really interesting how God knew the intentions of King Ahaz's heart before he even went out and made action on it. Yes. Um, It's it's interesting how God knows the intentions of our hearts. He knows us better than we know ourselves. The Bible says the hairs on our head are numbered. That's why we can trust him. Mm. So in Isaiah chapter 7, um, and in verse three, we are going to see what God told Isaiah. Why did God tell Isaiah to take his? Well, we're going to have a look, actually. I'll ask that question afterwards. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out and meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. Hmm. Do you want to know an interesting fact about this verse? Please, yes. My Bible's margin says that Sheer Jashub, his son's name, literally means a remnant shall return. Wow. That's a, okay. Let's go into that. For, that. That's where we're going. So, so Ahaz would have been surprised, right? Isaiah comes to him while he's inspecting his water system. Uh, the prophet, he knows this man to be a prophet. And this prophet has with him his son. And it would be quite odd to greet him and introduce him with his son named Sheer Jashub. Or, mm. I hope I got that right. Yes, which means... A remnant shall return. A remnant shall return. So the question is, a remnant of who? Mm. Mm, Ryan, what are your thoughts on this? Who, first of all, a remnant shall return. Who 
who's the remnant and return where? That's an interesting question. It's almost as if by God telling Isaiah to bring his son, he's trying to convey a message to the king. Yes. And that message would be something like a remnant of whom and return where. The questions that would happen in the king's mind, Mm -hmm. it would be an option for the king, either follow God or you'll be led into captivity because of your wickedness. And then a remnant shall return. It's really just an option for him. Mm, That's absolutely right. In fact, um, the verb return, a remnant shall return, the word, the verb return also carries the meaning of repentance. So a remnant may return, but a remnant also may come to repentance. And so that's such a beautiful message. The message from God to Ahaz was, are you going to, it was a choice. Are you going to return? Are you going to repent? Are you going to turn from your sins or are you going to go into captivity? And from from captivity, a remnant will return, but the decision is really, really up to you. Um, We have a message from a uh, from one of our listeners. Oh, thank you so much for, for um, texting in. We do love hearing from you. Ryan, can you read out that message? Yeah, the note says, oh, the message says, God, uh, he, this listener liked uh, the part about God not causing the destruction, but rather because of Ahad's wickedness, mm. Ahaz's wickedness. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think putting myself, putting yourself in the, in the King Ahaz's shoes, Oh, royal shoes. And as Isaiah, Isaiah introduces his son, and this brings to mind huh, the meaning a remnant shall return. Um, either a remnant shall, like, what is Ahaz going to do? Is he going to repent from his sins? Or is is he going to allow this alliance to occur? And knowing, knowing that they will be, they will go into captivity. But God, God always, he gives this ominous message Yet there is always hope. Mm. There's always like, you know, although you will go into captivity, if that is the path you choose, Mm. the remnant shall return, will return. That is certain. Because the primary lesson that we're picking up from this study is only as we follow God are we truly blessed because following good principles naturally leads to blessings. Yes. But this particular day, this what we're looking at is Ahaz has this promise here that, look, even though you may choose to not follow God, I'm going to be a faithful God and I'm going to bring back a remnant. But it's up to you, King Ahaz, whether or not you want to follow me and be led to good blessings or whether or not you want to uh, follow your own desires and your own ideas, follow your own gods that other people have made up, gods of of wood and stone that mean nothing. Mm. Um, And if that's the case, then you've essentially ensured your own destruction. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, we're going uh, to look at Isaiah chapter seven, verse four to nine. Let's have a look at verses four to nine. Um, We do love hearing from you, so feel free to text in. Um, Isaiah chapter seven, verse four to nine. Okay, so this is Isaiah uh, and Isaiah's son saying to Ahaz, it said, and say to him, take heed, God talking to Isaiah, take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for those two stubs of smoking firebrands, for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the sons 
son of Remalah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remalah have plotted evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves, and set a king over them, the son of Tabal. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, mm. and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Wow. I Just jumping above, it says that when... when Israel and Syria made that alliance that King Ahaz and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in the storm. That's quite a picture. Mm. But when God sends his message, he first sends Isaiah with his son, a, a and and um, Ahaz is reminded that, you know, he has a choice to repent or he knows or he is um or he is given the hope that you know, the remnant will return. And God says to him in his message from Isaiah, he says, tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers. Oh, I like what your <laughs> translation says. Yes. Firebrands and embers. It's almost as if they're here for one minute and gone the, gone next. the next. God is, is like, do not worry. They, they're not worth being scared of. And that's a powerful application for our life as well. Sometimes we face uh, incredible obstacles that we think are really obstacles. And God, you know, he comes to us and he says, actually, all things are possible with me. Mm. Um, and those obstacles that you think are obstacles aren't really that aren't big really. in my sight. No. And, and if you only knew the future, yeah. uh, you'd be able to rest assured that I've got it in control. Yeah. And that's exactly what he says to us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Um, that we should not worry about tomorrow, mm. for tomorrow worries about itself. Sufficient is the day for its trials, and, and we can trust in God who clothes the lilies of the field and dresses them, mm. and we just need to trust in Him. Yeah, It's powerful that He brought the same message to King Ahaz several hundred years earlier. Exactly, and that message has not changed. He still says that um, to us today. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM positively different um okay here we go we are going on to the last leg of our bible study but i was just thinking okay so in the bible how it said that the people were shaking like leaves on a tree blown by the wind they were that scared that god says to him his message oh don't worry about your enemies because they will be like burning smoldering stumps of trees <laughs> i thought that was really cool i don't understand i mean if you know why the, the use of trees is used in here or it's just a cool imagery it's quite interesting i mean it would be pretty hard pressed in in uh, ahaz's day and age not to know what a tree is yeah oh, true and true. so and, and you would see them every time the wind blows they would be swaying in the wind and yeah. so god is is using some imagery there that uh, but maybe we were talking with kelvin yesterday maybe there is some weird and wacky facts concerning why trees in, in that analogy Very or true. metaphor yeah yeah so the threat of Syria and so God was saying the threat of Syria and Israel would pass and Judah would be spared. 
the powers that look to Ahaz like huge fiery volcanoes were in God's sight only two smoldering stumps of firebrand. And that's in Isaiah 7 verse 4. There was no need for Ahaz to appeal to Assyria for help. Oh, I love that. There was no need for it. There was no need for that alliance. There was no need to lock themselves into this alliance that would cause a degradation of their, I don't know if that was the right word, but like it it would cause them to become more godless and to be a society that was very much like Assyria, which was a Mm. very cruel, um, a a very cruel, unkind society. It'd be sending them back into a sort of pseudo-slavery. If, you, if you're um, paying another kingdom to act as your protectorate in those day and ages, and they weren't a very merciful kingdom, uh, you're really surrendering themself, yourself over to them as slaves. I mean, yeah. uh, if you have to pay a monthly fee or a yearly fee of tribute, and they decide that your tribute isn't good enough, they can just come in and, and wipe you out. And yeah. it's really just a slow deterioration yeah. of of national economy and national stability and and soon enough you just become uh, fearful Mm. of the very people who you formed an alliance with it's interesting anything that you give yourself over to or you align yourself with there's always a sacrifice right Mm. but when you make a sacrifice when god when you make a sacrifice with god what you give up is well what you gain is so much better than what you give up and Mm. god still gives you your freedom he still gives you you know I don't, he still leaves you and he makes you whole as a person, whereas opposed to when you give yourself off to, you, like, we can make this more spiritual. And it may be addictions or anything like that. You know, you lose you lose your freedom. You, you lose who you are. So, mm, And though it may be painful to give those over to God, you're really, in the end, you're not losing anything that you don't get back a hundredfold. Yeah. I mean, God offers you eternal life, the kingdom of heaven, a personal knowledge with him, which I think is just incredible. Yeah. I mean, who would, if you could talk to, um, let's say you could talk to one renowned person from history, one person who was just so exceptional in their field that they would be able to solve mysteries for you. Maybe like Nikola Tesla, you know, you wanted Mm. to learn all the secrets and tap his mind. The person who created the very thing that Nikola Tesla was playing around with, electricity, Mm. the person who... Uh, the, or the being who created the fundamental laws of physics um, offers you a personal relationship mm. and uh, wants to save you from your sin. I mean, how much better can you get? Not only someone who is your best friend, yeah. but someone who's willing to teach you and show you everything that yeah. he's created. That's just such an incredible promise. Someone who's willing to give you a new identity and hope. So... There was no need, as we said, there was no need for Ahaz to make an appeal to Assyria for help. There's no need for you to to sacrifice what sacrifice yourself. But in order to make the right decision, Ahaz needed to trust the Lord and his promises. Trust God and trust what God was promising him. He needed to believe to, in order to be established. The words in um, for believe and to be established are actually from the same Hebrew root from which comes the word truth. That's which is the truth means that which is reliable and the word amen, which affirms that which is true and reliable. And so Ahaz needed to be sure in God in order to be made sure. He needed to rely in order to be reliable. Mm. It's kind of like we can't really see our need for Christ unless we first see mm. our own weakness and yes. depravity. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how you 
you know, think about this, Renee, but if we don't have the perception that we're sinners, we don't have the perception that we need a savior. We need to first recognize that we are in fact who we are in order to realize that we need Jesus Christ to change our lives. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. (laughs) The reason why we all begin our relationship with God or we take God seriously or we, we, you know, we have faith in God is because we realize, hmm, I can't do this on my own. I need something other than myself. Like that analogy of you in a pit and there is no way out. And the only way out of the pit is for someone external, someone outside of the pit to come and pull, like lay down Mm. a rope and put it down so you can climb out. Um, Yeah. Seeing your need for God is so important. And that's really what um, God was inviting Ahaz to do. He was saying, look, just take a stand for me. Mm. Just reach out a little bit to realize that you really need me. What do you mean a stand for him? Well, he says, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Ahaz is now faced with a choice. He can either trust God and cast his lot in with God, or he can continue down the path. And God hasn't totally discounted Ahaz, but he's really just appealing to him. Yeah. Make a stand for me. Don't worry about this. God, in fact, has been very gracious to Ahaz, not telling him he has to do anything necessarily, but just wait and trust. Yeah. And that's sometimes the hardest thing that we can do is just to wait and trust God. Yeah. I think Ahaz, we can relate to Ahaz. You know, I know that it's easy to say that he was a wicked king. He was horrible. But Ahaz was given this message of hope where God said, don't worry. What you were scared of won't even bother you. Don't even stress about that. But what I need you to do is stand firm for me to trust, to be established in this truth. Mm. Um, and so that's really encouragement as we wrap up to be, to encourage our listeners, to encourage, you know, Ryan and myself that we need to be established in God um, because we can trust him. He's mm. proven himself to be true. Everything that he promises comes to pass. And we know that. Um, and and we to can step out in faith. That. Amen. Yeah, to step out. Step out in faith. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is now time for... Question of the day. I have a question. Okay, here we go. Ryan, I have a question. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 28, it says, And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is Jesus speaking. What did he mean in that verse? Did he mean... I mean, it sounds like... The disciples are still alive to me. <laughs> yeah. Or would they be alive when Jesus came? Exactly. That's a very interesting question. And, you know, I have a good answer for you. In every gospel where this is mentioned, this particular question, assuredly, some of you shall not taste death until you see the kingdom of heaven coming, uh, the glory of the kingdom mm-hmm. of heaven. Um, we get a very interesting fulfillment of that straight away, Very uh, the next few verses afterwards, and that is always on the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm. And so, if you are there in Matthew with me, just, just look down to ver- chapter 17 now, and it says, Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brothers, and led them on a high mountain by themselves. So, Jesus is with three of his disciples, and he goes onto a high mountain. And what happens on that mountain is Jesus is praying... And then uh, suddenly he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. 
His clothes became as white as light, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to him. What is the significance of Moses and Elijah? What are these guys doing? Well, let's keep reading. and We might find out. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Well, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces out of fear. And the story goes on. Why do you think it's important that a Moses, Moses and Elijah were there, Renee? Hmm. Because um, it's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Why was it important that they were there? I guess it proved that he was like Jesus was God. Like, did it fulfill some kind of prophecy? I, I'm not sure. Well, Moses, we know, was in the wilderness with the children of Israel. Yes. And he died. And Jude tells us that God... Uh, Michael came down and he raised, resurrected uh, Moses. And so, uh, we know that Moses is in heaven, in fact, alive. And Elijah, we know, was carried away on chariots of burning fire. Mm. And so, these people represent those in the last days who have tasted death yeah. and who have not tasted death, those who have died and not died. And they were actually there. And when Peter says, behold, we should build tabernacles, He's talking about the tabernacle in the wilderness here where God's glory was so bright and so powerful that they needed a tent to shield them from it. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus is appearing now in a token of what it would look like at the second coming of Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's coming in glory and in power with, uh, and he is there to raise the dead to life and bring those who are alive back to heaven with him. And so when he's talking about seeing the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, that is a, a literal representation of what his kingdom will be like. And those disciples got to witness it. Wow. So basically, when he was saying there are some here right now, he, it was an example of what, w- what would come in, in, in the second coming. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.